Welcome to the Urban Farming Podcast. My name is Chris Light. I've been urban farming for about two years now, and, and we really here to get the notion of urban farming as a potential solution to uh, food security on track. So please hit the subscribe button, like us on Facebook, uh, and to send us what you would like to know and understand better about urban farming. Hi, it's uh, Chris Late here, uh, urban farmer, and uh, this is my very first podcast. Very uh, excited about it, and we've... Um, Got a number of interesting topics about urban farming. What is it? How do you do it? Why do you do it? And uh, to help us, I've uh, invited uh, Rika. Uh, Rika Hubert. Rika is in many ways the inspiration behind the fact that I became an urban farmer. Uh, I'm probably that typical story of a corporate executive, overweight, rushed, no time, no nothing. Um, and uh, I met Rika through cycling and uh, she started making me aware of nutrition and the valuable of uh, the value rather of good food. Um, Rika, would you mind just introducing you yourself uh, a little bit? I know you're a, a personal trainer and you're a well-known cycle photographer, but um, yeah, please just give some background and uh, what you'd hope to to bring over to the listener. Thank you, Chris. I'm very honored to be here. Um, and it is a passion of mine to um, uh, nutrition and also how we how we go about getting our food and um, how we go about treating ourselves and treating our planet. And and you know I'm not I'm not a fundamentalist at all. But I, to some extent, I like to have a soft approach towards the way I live and towards myself. So, um, mm. yeah. And yes, I'm a personal trainer and I'm a photographer. And I can also maybe mention you've got a, a, a agricultural background from your oh, upbringing. Yes, yes. So. <laughs> I grew up in Bonnyvale oh, and right. my father was a farmer and I have a brother who's a farmer. Oh, Rika, I mean, if we look at, at urban farming, and what is interesting is that uh, there's more people living in cities now than ever. Urban farming is probably not a unique concept at, at any stretch of the, uh, of the imagination. But um, I recently read that more than half of the world's population currently live in cities. And in the developed world, that's like, approaching 70% of people's living in, 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 in cities. And I think one of the concerns is that um, a lot of questions is being asked about the sustainability of providing food to the cities in, in, in the ways of, uh, of in the traditional ways. I mean, if, if we look at, at uh, something like a head of lettuce, uh, according to a recent survey in the United States, uh, an average head of lettuce travels more than a thousand miles from that it's harvested until it's, it's, it's consumed. So um, there is probably opportunity to, to um, sort of take urban farming as uh, 
uh, yeah, as a, as a potential solution to to the uh, food crisis. What what's your view on? This? Well, uh, that's absolutely shocking. Um, mm. Seeming that lettuce is one of the easiest things to grow in a pot or in your backyard, mm. or you know, and you really don't need a lot of space. I uh, live right in the middle of the city. I have a little balcony, and I actually grow quite a you know a bit of vegetables that on on my balcony so and the nice thing for me is that i know the la- the lettuce and the vegetables that i produce on my balcony that there's no pesticides on them and i know that the soil is really nutritious and um yeah it's i think it is really shocking and and there's minimal work actually going into producing a lettuce yourself you can actually even produce it on your windowsill mm. Well, I think I've been tinkering with with aquaponics for probably the last eight years. And um, it's just amazing when my eyes went open to the the realization that in one cubic meter here in my courtyard at the kitchen door, um, I've actually got an extra fridge. Uh, and I've got an extra pharmacy, um, and you know, now obviously my my benefit there well, it's, it's within a concrete courtyard, so uh, yes. yeah, I'd have to use pots or so. But with the aquaponics tout, uh, the fish produces the the fertilizer, yes. and uh, you know, Rico, what 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 is fascinating, and I try to to try and you know document yes. the harvest and so on. You, you tend to forget those things, but I actually figured out that roughly about eighteen to twenty months. You've paid for your system by virtue of just not, you know, buying yes. those off off the shelf anymore. I think you and me, you are a proper urban farmer. I, <laughs> I have a few pots and I grow, you know, a few vegetables on my balcony. So, and I'm not scientific at all. I really just uh, actually a lot of the seeds and things that grow on my on my balcony is just mm-hmm. coming from my compost. So, mm-hmm. it just, you know, it just started growing on its own. Um, I also I made an effort to buy heirloom lettuce seeds. So the, they're actually like weeds. They mm-hmm. plant themselves yeah. continuously. So there's very little. I am not saying, you know, I sort of let nature do its thing. Yeah. You know, so I think it's just, it's seasonal as well. So yeah. there's, you know, whatever grows in what season, that's just the way it is. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think two two points there. One is the... Uh, there's there's definitely in my opinion an international trend around what is fresh uh what is local and what is in season and uh, i think that yeah. that's that's quite powerful the, the the thing about nature that is so miraculous and so wonderful is that it actually produces the nutrients that we need in specific seasons you know i i see i look at the purslane which is actually a weed that we pull out mm-hmm. but that specific little weed only comes in a certain part of this specific part of the year and then you know most people will just pull it out and it's it's see it as a weed but it's actually a very rich source source of omega-3 fatty acids and um in areas that's really cold there's actually more omega-3 fatty acids mm. in the plant so it's you know like nature just puts in the plant what we need what we need absolutely well yeah i think there's still room for a lot of research in uh in terms of that um, maybe just sorry back one topic when you uh, expressed heirloom uh, seed. Uh, my understanding is is it's actually seed that's not been genetically manipulated, um, and yeah, it's 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 like 
heir in terms of uh, you inherited it yes. from uh, from a yes. So uh, yeah. I think originally all seeds were heirloom seeds, and then um, my father, my brother, who's an apple farmer, you yeah. know, they um, produce very specific varieties of apple. So yeah. you will get your your Granny Smith, and you'll get your yeah. Golden Delicious apples, yeah. and you'll get your um, the red apples, and you know, so you get all those different varieties, and that I think that is what is hybridized seeds. Yeah. So, um, and I think nowadays when you go to the nursery and you buy a packet of seeds, then, mm. you know, the carrots are hybridized to yeah. have specific characteristics. Yeah. yeah. No, well, I, I brought you a, a pumpkin. Um, and uh, if I look at that guy, it it's, uh, doesn't look like the original yes. <laughs> pumpkin <laughs> that you buy for Halloween. But uh, I'm quite, quite curious uh, to, to taste it because um, it's, it's organic and it, it grew out of exactly that seeds that I had. Yes. So, um, um, what I've heard actually about even genetically modified seeds, if mm. you plant them, and over a few generations, they'll actually return to the original genetic structure. Okay. So, you know, they will lose that genetic yeah. modification. I'm, I'm no expert on what the difference is between hybridized seeds and um, genetically modified seeds. Um, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I think, uh, you know, th what, what is the lesson I'm getting from you is uh, there's room to utilize what you have, you know, yes. out of buying a cucumber or a pumpkin or whatever, especially if you maybe got it on a farmer's market or so. Yes. Uh, there's actually value in retaining those seeds and seeing where you can plant it. Yes. Maybe let's let's just have a look at, at you know, often people would think about urban farming and say, oh, but, you know, now I've got too many birds in my garden and what do I do about insecticides? And what what's your your feeling been on, on, on that topic? <laughs> I told you that I'm a failed <laughs> urban farmer <laughs> because two of my gardens that I made, I, I made one at work mm. and um, I had uh, lurie birds in... In, you know, it's, I'm lucky to have such a beautiful gym and it's yeah. in like a really beautiful garden and with lots of birds. And fortunately, the birds discovered my garden and um, they, they really, they finished off my garden, except for the spinach. So okay. the spinach survived yeah. and um, I put a net over it. So that's, uh, you know, yeah. that helped a little bit. Um, and I just started over again. You know, luckily, I'm not completely dependent on my little... You know, for me, it was it makes a difference to what I consume. I spend less on vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I really like my green juice every day, and I like eating my green leafy vegetables. Mm -hmm. And um, just, you know, for example, I looked at your pumpkin and I thought, <laughs> well, I hope the pump. This is a pumpkin that has lots of leaves because I actually use the pumpkin leaves as well. So even though my pumpkin hasn't, my pumpkin plant on my balcony hasn't <laughs> produced a pumpkin yet. Yeah. You know, I even I even use the leaves. So yeah. the 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 actual fruit of the plant doesn't have to be perfect as well. Well, I think the the lesson that I've learned, and, and it's probably one of the, let's call it permaculture principles, is is go and harvest you know if if uh, if you don't take it nature will yes um, definitely 
I think, you know, maybe just my two cents on it is that um, I was very concerned about pests. Um, I think environmental factors is, is a major driver of, of uh, agriculture cost. Um, but then I, I started reading up on fighting bugs with bugs. Yes. And um, that's just made such a big difference. I mean, I've been farming now, um, well, full-time for a, I've probably been urban farming for about eight years, but I've been full-time urban farming now for the last almost year and a half. And um, I don't use any pesticides, nothing. And it's just, you know, the moment you see aphids on your on your uh, plants, day or two later, you start seeing ladybugs and three or four yes. days later that ladybug sorted out yes. the aphids you know. well one of the things with aphids for example mm. is that you know if it also depends on the nutrition nutrition of your soil and what's happening mm. in the soil so if there's too many um uh n- nitrates in the mm. soil then it's nearly like there's sugar in the soil yeah. and then the, the the plant is sweeter and then yeah. you have more aphids so mm. um you know, we like to buy the 515 for the roses, but yeah. there's a lot of nitrates in that specific formula, and okay. often that changes uh, the composition of the soil and yeah. it attracts a lot of aphids and yeah. it, you know, it can ruin your garden. Well, I think that that's fascinating about the, um, yeah, the value that I'm now seeing in, in terms of, of farming organically um, is it's not. It's you, you know as long as you sort of stick to that recipe, you actually get less bugs. Yes. It's, yeah. it's it's amazing. Yeah. Yes, and I, it's, for example, one of the things that I've done is I've planted garlic, which a lot mm. of pests doesn't like the mm. fact that there's garlic as well. Um, I've planted garlic chives as well. It mm. seems to, it's Deter, in my yeah. garden, it deters the yeah. pest to some extent. Well, I think that that's a that's an interesting topic also around companion plants. Um, yeah. For example, what I do, um, the, one of the, the lines that I sell is, is edible flowers, um, which sort of this time of the year tend to go down. Yes. Um, and then uh, I like to plant marigolds in their space, yes. which is also edible. Yes. But uh, the marigolds, uh, 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 marigolds, uh, Afrikanerkies, they yes. are um, the nitrogen fixers. You yes. Know. So that's that's also something that I think you can elaborate on. Yeah, well, well. I've I've learned that from <laughs> you now. <laughs> Let's maybe move on to to um, why would you say is is urban farming important? Um, why would the every you know, let's say the average listener perhaps uh, driving in his or her car saying, you know, guys, quite frankly, that's how the economy works. We can't do all. Uh, all of us can't start doing everything in a, an economic cycle. There must be guys that do farming and I'll do yes. my business, etc., etc. Yes. I think for me personally, mm. you know, I really, I find that it really relaxes me. I have quite a stressful, you know, I have a long day that's mm. very stressful. And I have sometimes during the day I have a little gap. I stay about six kilometers from my work. Mm. And I find that it really relaxes me to work in my garden. So mm. that's one reason. The other is that the bugs that live in the soil mm. is actually very good for my own immune system. And that's what I wanted mm. to say okay. <laughs> is that, you know, just like we have an immune system and we are when we are exposed to germs in our environment, our immune system becomes stronger. Mm. When you when the plant is exposed to certain bugs or certain pests, um, it also develops immunity against those 
bugs. And that is actually a plant that has, you know, that wasn't pampered completely. Mm. It's actually a much more nutritious and a much better plant to, you know, if we look at, um, I don't know if you're familiar with something called sulforaphane. No. That's an extract that we get from uh, broccoli or from the cruciferous vegetables. Specifically, mm. bro- uh, broccoli sprout is very, very high in sulforaphane. Mm. And it's uh, in the nutritional circles, it's like a buzzword because it slows down aging. It actually can reverse aging to a, a tremendous extent. And it's, mm. um, you know, it's one of those wonderful things that uh, mm. science brought us. <laughs> But and that's why we're the same age, but you look half my age. Oh, no, I don't know about that. Ten years of working, of chasing cycling races in the sun. Um, but it's, but it's, I feel very healthy and I feel very uh, vibrant. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I can see there's a healthy glow about you. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, actually, it's interesting. I, I recently had a, a conversation with a lady that's that's uh, one of the top permaculturists in, in, in South Africa. And permaculture is sort of, uh, well, the word comes from permanent agriculture. Yes. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's using no-till no techniques and companion planting and yes. et cetera. But, um, but she's a fascinating lady and she attends many of the international conferences and so on. And um, she started farming, urban farming, for her own health uh, reasons. She just uh, realized that, you know, 40 minutes of working in the garden twice a week is suddenly adding to her life expectancy. Yes, you know, the, it, you're in the sun, you get the vitamin D. Mm. Um, also, the, the pesticides, you know, it's difficult to find organically grown vegetables. Mm. You mm. are, uh, yeah, I'm looking for somebody like you in Johannesburg. <laughs> But I live about a 45 minutes drive away from the organic market mm. and organic vegetables are really expensive and it's hard to find. You know, you mm. often go to the shop and it's, it's not that easy to find organically grown vegetables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is, it's interesting just to note also that, um, and I've been monitoring it, that, that organic, uh, the prices are coming down. Um, and but it's fascinating that you know there's a there's a company in uh, the United States under uh, creation I think it's farmlands.com and that's what they do they rehabilitate big scale uh, commercial chemical farms back to organic farms yes. and um, mm. you know when when one look at the business case you'd say but that's crazy because you know for a, a chemical farm to be rehabilitated means it needs to lay barren for five years. Now, five years is a long, a yes, long time. Yes, it's a long time for a farmer to <laughs> yeah. be without an income. Absolutely. But, you know, and then we say, but why is organic um, food so difficult? But it's often because, you know, of that five years that the uh, land had to be barren that, that needs yes. to be discounted. Um, but, again, I, I think the, the, the health benefits probably do justify it. In the end. Yes. And also, um, as we do struggle with climate change, I think um, – as we move more to it's a permaculture model of farming and you know it's actually um, our farms will become much more resistant to the changes in climate you know if we if we uh, have trees and if we have shrubs and we have creepers and we have different kinds of plants all growing together that's a farm that's much more resistant to what's happening in nature my brother for example Um, on his farm about a month ago, he had a hailstorm, 30-second hailstorm. Oh, goodness, yeah. And it destroyed a good 20% of his oh, harvest. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Now, I think um, it, 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 it's fascinating. Well, I, you know, when, when, when I started looking into the agribusiness side of things, um, uh, I realized that there, there's four major cost drivers. You know, firstly is your environmental factors, pesticides, hail, drought, etc. Um, that that's probably the major cost drivers because I think there's there's few businesses that, that can actually escalate that quickly, going from one to two to four to eight to sixteen. Uh, but there's few other business that comes down from sixteen to zero yes. <laughs> as, as quickly as as farming. Um, if if there's not a method of controlling the, the the environment to certain extent, so obviously what you get it's like in the Netherlands, uh, you know they they protect against cold etc. with with indoor farming. Yes. Um, and and just interesting, they've they've uh, over the last two years they've uh, surpassed China. They're now the world's second biggest uh, uh, food exporter after the USA. Wow, um, that's an amazing fact. Yeah. But I think the potential maybe future sort of permaculture type farming is um is 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 built on a different model where you know the if if a, you know I'm assuming now but you know apple farmer if you know if if or let's say even more a maize farmer you know if he can get his produce out a week before his neighbor he's he's in a lot better financial position where uh permaculture is not is not that it's the time when the the specific crop is ready yes. you need to be ready to eat yes. it and i think your your example of how nature's actually given us those plants in certain times of the year to to boost our yes. uh, immune system is, is is remarkable i think there's a space for both i think if more of us can make a little garden at home where we have you know whether it's nasturtiums or whether it's carrots or whether it's beetroot or what mm -hmm. most vegetables actually grow very easily mm -hmm. um you know and we supplement what we have you know we can we can supplement what we get from the shop with organic vegetables that we've mm. grown ourselves and yeah you mentioned before and your because um, you know one of the topics that i'd like to cover here in, in more detail in the future is what to plant and when to plant you know but um rika mentioned to me uh, that she's got a, a, a celery uh, plant that's been with her for a number of years now most people uh, grows well I do I grow celery and, and when it's ready I harvest the whole plant uh, because the yes. chefs kind of demand that but um, yeah and, and you've you've got celery yes, to I, be cut and grow again yeah. it's actually the, um, these two things so one is with celery for example I've just been cutting pieces of the plant off mm. and I've been watering the plant and other than that I've actually done very little I, I don't think well maybe I have a worm farm so I've put mm. a little bit of worm castings um on the plant and mm. I water it and even the water that I use to water my my garden with mm. comes is actually my bath water yeah, so gray water yeah. gray water mm. so um, and um, the other thing is the moment a plant is experiencing any kind of hardship it actually starts making seeds mm. you know so mm. most plants when they when they feel under pressure they, they you know they they want to make sure that the genetic um, footprint stays and they produce mm. seeds and they mm. will reproduce themselves mm. yeah that and that's interesting and, and I think yeah the, the obviously many plants thrive on the fact that you frequently harvest them and uh, yes 
handle them uh, more often. Um, and that, that brings back that old uh, cliche about uh, uh, the best fertilizer for plants is the shade of the farmer. No? Yes, uh, yes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, we see that with flowers. The more you, if you have a rose bush in your mm. garden, the more you cut the flowers, the more roses it will produce, mm. you know. So. Yeah, I had a wonderful experience two weeks ago. I um, harvested uh, all the borage uh, flowers. And uh, I thought I'd probably only see borage flowers again in four weeks' time. But the next week, there was actually a greater harvest than, than the previous week. So yeah. one week, amazing. Amazing. Just, it's just nature that's amazing, mm. actually. It, it, uh, it continuously uh, surprised me, and the wonder of it stuns me. And I think that, for me, uh, it's as the, the minute-scale farmer that I am, you know, for me, there's that connection that I living in the city I feel mm. that when I work with my plants that I develop a connection with the soil and that you know I see how I am interlinked with nature I feel mm. connected with nature yeah absolutely and I think again as, as we said earlier I mean with with more than half of the planet's people living in cities I, I think that's a massive need um, I know one of my sort of virtual mentors in, in, in urban farming is, is a, a Curtis Stone from, from Canada. And um, he, he started noticing food security and the issue around that with the, the Great Recession at the end of the 90s. And, um, and that, that stimulated him to, to become probably one of the world's most famous urban farmers now. But yes. um, it started out of a realization that, hey, you know, if the economy can crash, what happened to my food? You know? Yes, exactly. And, and mm. I've, for me, just practically, you know, often I come home and I haven't been to the shops. And, mm. I, you know, I don't have green vegetables that I've bought from the shops. And then mm. I can just go out on my balcony and it's there and it's convenient. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, well, it's... Um, and I think the challenge around year year round harvesting is is there's a bit of an input that's required uh, when you start putting out your urban farm is to know what you know is harvestable when and what grows when and and so on. But um, I mean, I've showed you my 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 or yes, orchard. Yes, I've seen your fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's you've made a study of it. It's it's wonderful. Well, and, and just it, it's a very simple concept. I just wanted I had space in a concrete courtyard and, and, and uh, pots, and I wanted something that bears fruit every month. And I actually, in the end, managed to figure that out. Yes, so. but I think in the olden days when people were less reliable on the market for mm. their food, everybody had an orchard. You know, I remember my grandfather... Mm. We had apple and guava, and we had fruits in winter, and we had figs. And mm. and I, I do remember that we were very aware of the birds. We always protected the figs from the birds <laughs> yeah. and the apples and so on. So, Well, I, I, I think there's you know, definitely a, a reverse or, or yeah, a, a cyclical scenario. I think, I think people mm. want that. But an interesting thing that I haven't noticed before but which is gaining gaining momentum is people wanting an edible fruit forest in their in their garden they they want a uh, aesthetically pleasing garden with maybe not too much maintenance but everything that grows in that garden must be edible um, 
And Isn't it that the, we often think that, you know, an apple tree or a fruit tree is not as aesthetically pleasing as an, another kind of tree. Mm-hmm. But actually, you, you know, uh, an apple tree in blossom is actually stunningly beautiful. It's same with a peach tree yeah. or a plum tree. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, a lemon tree is year-round green. Yes. And, uh, and then let's not throw away many of our indigenous trees. Uh, that's that's lovely fruit bearing. Yes. Um, thinking about the the kai apple, for example. That's uh, yes. can't, can't think of the English word now. So, um, Rico, yeah, I think we've touched on you know some of the nutritional benefits. We've touched on the physical and emotional component and benefits of that. Um, Maybe what we should have a look at also is is the methodology. What can one do? You know, if if, if I was um, thinking about planting my own food, what where would you recommend one start? Well, I I think it depends on your s- specific situation. But like I said, if I can do it, it living in the middle of the city and in mm. a block of flats, then I think most other people can do that. And I, you know, you can you can start a garden on the pavement, mm, mm. and and even that is very rewarding because you share with all your neighbours. Um, mm. I think I started. Um, one of the things is I also recycling. I recycle in my house, so I wanted to actually recycle all the peels and things from from the kitchen. So mm, mm. I started with a worm farm. Mm-hmm. And a bokashi bin, so mm, all yeah. my you know all my peels Chicken, and things goes yeah. into the bokashi bin. Yeah. I wish I <laughs> actually <laughs> had chickens at one stage. Okay. My my chickens are now uh, full on pasture pasture raised <laughs> chickens. They are they've <laughs> they've become really wild. Oh, okay. They have uh, they lived a good life. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and. But aren't they just the greatest composters that you can find? Yes, you know? they are. But yeah. they will also they will ruin your garden if it's a very mm. pedicured garden. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think that maybe then you know, in in summary, um, there's no reason why anybody, there's no excuse really for anybody not to look at planting some of their own foodstuffs. I, I do think it's one needs to be a little bit... Um, you can't be naive. Something like um, uh, traditionally foodstuff that can be preserved uh, tend to be not typically things that, that uh, in the urban environment. I'm talking about, you know, we uh, millies, um, you know, yes. grains, grains, potatoes that type of thing. Um, you can plant it, but, you know, it's it's probably what more suited for bigger monocrop kind of areas there. Where I think the the, the, the perishable foodstuffs is, is it's really a, a valuable attribute to have that foodstuff closer to the, the market. Um, and I realize not, not any, everybody need, wants to farm for commercial purposes. Um, but maybe let's just explore that topic for one moment. Do do you think that uh, it's 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 viable to farm beyond your own needs in in an urban environment? Yes, definitely. I think if you make uh, you know, I had a pavement garden at one stage, and <laughs> well, I don't have it anymore. Okay. But 
um, the whole neighborhood. And it was it was wonderfully educa- educational as well. Yeah. You know, all the children, yeah. a lot of children actually didn't know what the ca- carrot looked like when yeah. it was still in the soil or what a beetroot looked like when it was still in the soil. Yeah. No, well, I, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's um, it's probably one of the things that we'll see is with the the sort of gaining of popularity of of, of urban farmers um, per se, uh, more food farmers markets, more food yes. festivals, more of these type of things uh, might might uh, become more prominent in, in in South Africa specifically. It's yes, already definitely. in other parts of the world. Definitely. So, yeah. And I, I, what I see nowadays is a lot of schools or at a lot of community halls or, you know, places where you normally wouldn't expect a little garden or a little farm. You mm. suddenly see now that people looking after the properties there are actually farming there as well. Absolutely, yeah. All right, well, I think we need to... Uh, look at uh, what we're going to do next week um rick i think next week let's uh, let's look at at i'd like to address the topic about all right what do you do where do you start you know what is the potential uh techniques available to me uh there might be people that's got a space on their balcony on the 12th floor there might be people that says you know i've got a, a lawn in the backyard that's you know we can utilize there might be people that say you know what i'd like to put a tunnel up on top of the roof of the well, building maybe hydroponics <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know and i think let's let's look at some of the techniques um and and skills that you require um but to summarize i think it's i think urban farming is is becoming a movement um, I think it's the, the, the utilization of unused urban areas for agricultural purposes is something that's being starting to, to be taken more serious uh, with local municipalities, with uh, developers, with landscapers, uh, and, and uh, people generally, uh, like you said, uh, want a bigger feel in terms of where their food comes from and how valuable it is. And um, looking at your list of clients, definitely the the, the shift, uh, well, just what it did in my life uh, in terms of of understanding what I eat has got a dramatic effect on on, uh, my physicality. Um, What would you like to wrap up with, Rico? Well, I think you can start. You must just start, actually. Just Mm. do it. Mm. Just do it. Yes, but we can talk about that. Right, let's talk about that next week. Rika, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. If you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, uh, click the link on Facebook where you can review us and tell us what content you'd like. We aim to bring you the very best in content. Thank you very much. This is Chris Late signing out. Until next time, keep farming.